You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Well, here we are. Welcome to this World This Week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscana, and I'm hosting today's program. We'd also uh, just like to thank all those people that turned up to Ballarat for the Reclaim the Radical Spirit of the Eureka Rebellion celebrations. Unfortunately, it was a kind of a Victorian affair. Obviously, with uh, still border closures and people concerned about travelling, there weren't many interstate guests. I don't think we had one. But I'd like to thank the West Papua Independence Movement for sending people up to the celebrations and also the Ballarat Trades Hall and Benalla Trades Hall as various radicals of various hues and stripes turned up at 4am. Great day on the 3rd of December, great day. Uh, don't forget, next year, 3rd of December, I think it's, it'll be a Saturday, so it should even be a greater day. So no excuses that you've got to go to work. Also, thanks to all those people who turned up at the West Papuan Ren Collective End of Year Gathering. Great gathering. And a special thanks to uh, David McKenzie, who uh, created four uh, recycled timber stools to be auctioned uh, on Sunday, and uh, we raised $1,350. Thank you very much, uh, David. So if you are, uh, so there was vicious bidding for it. A lot of people missed out, but David's promised to do another four for the March-April meeting. Now, what is anarchism? No, it's not about raising money. Anarchism is about an cost without rulers. It's about creating a society without rulers. What gives rulers the ability to determine uh, the lives of uh, Billions of people, simple inequalities in power and wealth. So the anarchist struggle is a struggle to share power through direct democratic means and to hold wealth in common and use it for the common good. Now, I sometimes real life is so fascinating that it makes the alternative universe look unbelievable. Now, I've been seeing a lot of things in the last few months which have puzzled me, and I have spoken about this consistently on the program. I've seen all these people rush to the barricades. You know, they're rushing to the barricades. Are they rushing to the barricades to try to address child poverty? No. Are they rushing to the barricades to address the issue Uh, of uh, minimal wages growth? No. The issue of having a universal basic income? No. Uh, The issue of resolving 
the impasse with this country's First Nations people regarding their rights? No. Uh, for a universal health care system? Extension of it into a dental network? No. A more radical type of uh, agenda like uh, introducing cooperatives and collectives? No. Uh, I'm puzzled. I've seen people rally in, I call it the egotist parade, for the right. This is what I found fascinating. The right to spread disease and endanger other people's lives and health. Now, I, I know a number of people who don't want to be vaccinated, and obviously they've got ideological issues or they're concerned about the science or whatever. But what I find fascinating about all these people that I do meet, and not often, but you do come across them, is the fact that they won't use a mask, they won't socially isolate, and they won't you know, follow quarantine procedures. Because as far as they're concerned, they've rushed to the barricade for the right to spread infection and endanger the lives of their family, their friends, their community, and the list goes on and on. Now, obviously, the fundamental right, once you uh, jump out of your mother's womb, is the right to life. That is the fundamental right we all have. A right to life. All other rights, whether it's freedom of assembly, freedom to go into a shop, freedom of speech, freedom of association, and the list goes on and on, is dependent on the right to life. Simple. Now, would you tolerate my behaviour if I put other people's lives at risk? Would you tolerate that behaviour? I'm sure you wouldn't tolerate that behaviour. I'd be drummed out of the medical profession within a day. I'd be drummed out of society and find myself in prison. If I went around, you know, endangering, consciously endangering other people's lives and not, you know, uh, not, you know, stopping myself from doing it. I mean, it's all very well to talk about freedom and freedom marches. But freedom is a concept, which is, it's a communal concept. And the freedoms we have are restricted. Now, there is one activity which puts people's lives at risk, which we tolerate. And that's driving a motor vehicle or driving a motorbike. Now, obviously, there are rules and regulations which determine who can drive. You need a basic proficiency before you get a licence. Then there are rules and regulations in place which attempt to decrease the severity and the consequences of collisions. There are laws in place which ensure that if somebody gets killed or seriously injured that you have and it's your fault that you'll be tried in court and there will be consequences so obviously the right to drive a motor vehicle is restricted in a number of ways 
Because driving a motor vehicle is like holding a gun. Because if you lose concentration, you can do a lot of damage. And if you haven't got the necessary skills, you can do a lot of damage. And you think you can, you know, get pissed and take take as many drugs as you like and drive a motor vehicle. Well, there, there are there's poss- the possibility of serious consequences. You'll get away with it most times, but that time you don't get away with it, you may be responsible for the loss of life. So this is this is the the, the analogy. Okay, it's the same with COVID nineteen. When people say, my body, my choice, it's not like somebody deciding to have an abortion. Totally different. In that situation, it's their body, their choice. Simple. But with COVID-19, it is an infectious disease. It doesn't care about your political affiliations, your ideological bents, your alternative universes. It just doesn't care. Obviously, certain sections of the population are more prone. It's the elderly, the infirm, those that live in poverty because of the number of people that are interacting in a limited space. But the reality is there are consequences So what society has been saying is you wish to be part of that society, you vaccinate. If you don't want to vaccinate, you need to take various precautions until we reach a stage where there's herd immunity and the unvaccinated can then go about their lives freely. But in the interim, if you don't want to be vaccinated, you need to wear a mask. You need to socially distance. You need to follow quarantine rules. This is not an infringement on liberties or freedoms. These are actions you take to protect the people around you. Now, I know this debate has been rolling on for ages, but interestingly, it's how it's become politicised. So to a significant degree... The resistance to vaccination, the resistance to mandates is totally political. And interestingly, apart from a few renegades from the left, it's basically been a right-wing issue. And it's a way that people are able to recruit. And that's why the Liberal National Party is having such a tough time regarding COVID-19 because it is losing a percentage of voters who consistently vote for a restrictive social agenda. And that's the fascinating thing is most of these people that are jumping up and down saying it's their right to spread disease at the same time oppose many of the things that we have fought for for decades, oppose them point blank. So what we are seeing is the federal government is in a very difficult position because it needs those votes. Because those votes currently are moving to One Nation and the United Australia Party, Palmer's Party. And as I said before, Palmer's Party is about Palmer, not about policy. I mean, he'll use any 
tactic he can in order to ensure that he continues to hold on to his mining licences. And if that means the re-election of a Liberal National Government by setting up a fake opposition party, well, that's the way it goes, and you just funnel the uh, preferences back to the Liberal National Party. So Mr Morrison and the rest of the Liberal National Party are in a bit of a jam. They can't openly criticise those elements in the party that hold these views. All they can do is try to dampen the electoral damage they're doing outside those marginal seats, especially in Queensland and to a lesser degree in New South Wales, which they need to hold. And to hold them, they, to a significant degree, need the preferences of those people who are basically on this bandwagon of, you know, it's my right to spread infection. Forget about your right to exist or your right to life. But it's, this is my fundamental right. And it's interesting to see how this movement, you know, progresses, and I hate to use the word progresses, well, so I say advances, that we are seeing the more authoritarian elements come to the fore. The more racist, racist elements come to the fore. And so the Liberal National Party needs to dog whistle to its supporters that, well, you know, you know, Mr Christensen may make some outrageous remarks, but, you know, some senator may make some outrageous remarks, but they're backbenchers, you know. You know, they're not part of our team. They're naughty people. Um, you know, let's not worry about them. It's all right. So they're basically sending out two messages, one to the rest of the community saying, well... We're doing something about these people and their views and the fact they're part of our political uh, network. At the, other, at the other time, they are saying, at the same time, they are saying, oh, don't worry, we really support these people. We support their agenda. We support their agenda. Don't worry about it. Just give us your vote. So it's fascinating, isn't it? Fascinating situation we find ourselves in. And as the movement continues to exist, we will see the demarcation lines uh, become more and more clear. And that's been the problem, especially in Victoria because of uh, Mr Andrews' pathetic handling of legislation regarding a future pandemic where he's given this crowd a free kick. The other thing that concerns me, and I, I can't prove this, this is a belief, all right, at this stage, but I do wonder... With vaccination, double vaccination rates at 90% and with, I think, single vaccination rates at 94% climbing to 95 and hopefully the next few months we'll get to 95 vaccination so we've got some protection from herd immunity and, uh, you know, everybody can do what they want, within reason, obviously, as long as they don't infringe on other people's health and lives. Well... I'm still concerned about the high numbers of COVID-19 infections in the Victorian community compared to New South Wales, which is in a similar position in terms of population and in terms of vaccination rates, a little bit higher, but not that much higher. And I'm quite concerned why we still have large numbers. And are these large numbers, over a 1,000 every day, with, you know, between four and 10 deaths a day, are these large numbers a 
direct consequence of the section of the population which thinks that it's their right to spread disease and endanger other people's life? Or is it some other reason? I'm not sure at this stage, but I'm beginning to feel it is directed at that section of the population. Because when you see them march, they don't wear masks, they don't socially distance. A significant proportion are not vaccinated. That's a perfect Petri dish for infection. Now, I know I've harped on this, and I'll tell you why I've harped on this. I've been a doctor for 45 years. Yes, you can pity me. And I've seen a lot of things. But what I'm seeing today makes no sense. None whatsoever. But the positive aspect is that people are beginning to understand we are not individuals. We're not egotists. That's why I call it the egotist parades we have. We are part of a wider community, whether we like it or not. And as anarchists, we understand we are part of a wider community and we have a responsibility to the people around us. And that's why most of the campaigns we're involved in are campaigns which devolve power and share wealth. That's what the campaigns are about. I mean, campaigns like public housing, universal basic income, formation of a third tier of the economy based on collectives and cooperatives, a universal healthcare system, a universal public education system, and the list goes on and on. So it's quite interesting how we've gone down this little, going round and round in this cul-de-sac, and it'll be fascinating to see what happens. Whether the Liberal National Party are re-elected because of this rump of people who somehow think that COVID-19 has nothing to do with them until they're infected. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489. 0439 You could email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com, anarchistage at yahoo.com, or info, info at pipsy.net. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Let's move on. Rick Simpson. Now, many of our listeners would have known Rick. We used to call him our Captain Ross. Who was Captain Ross? Captain Ross was the uh, digger who on the 3rd of December was shot in the guts and died three hours later in agony, protecting the Eureka flag when the Eureka stockade was... uh... Now, no, no, Rick wasn't shot in the guts. He died of uh, natural causes at the beginning of uh, last year and it's been almost impossible uh, to scatter his ashes. Now, if you're a friend of Rick's, his ashes will finally be scattered this Saturday... That's right, this Saturday, which is the 11th of December, at 11am, at Fairview Park at Hawthorne 
in Melbourne. That's at the northern corner of Fairview Park. I've been told to look for the balloons. Now, the scattering of the ashes will occur at 11am. It'll all be finished by 11.30am and people are invited to come across to the pub if they wish. But the important thing is the, the scattering of the ashes. And why Hawthorne, Hawthorne Park? Well, Rick was a bit of a marathon runner. He was a cricket umpire until I think he became a septuagenarian. And a Hawthorne Park was a place where he uh, did a lot of his running as a, as a youngster. So Hawthorne Park, 11am this Saturday, the 11th of December, northern corner, near the Yarra. Uh, you'll see a few balloons and uh, don't come after 11.30 because it'll all be over. I mean, these ceremonies tend to be very quick. All right, let's move on. The economy. Now, those of you who've been following the series I've been doing in Victoria, and obviously it hasn't been on the National Community Radio Network at this stage, with the Autonomous Administration of North and East Syria, and currently we're stuck on our... We've only done nine of the ten-part series because Tikashin, the uh, person we liaison with from a civil community uh, centre in uh, north-east Syria, has... Uh, contracted um, COVID-19 and is uh, very, very sick. Hopefully he'll survive. As I've said on the program, there's no vaccinations available in that area and the uh, COVID-19 is beginning to have a profound impact on people in that part of the world. People who fought IS to a standstill, people who lost 30,000 young people fighting IS to a standstill, People have been forgotten by the world, through the world. But if you want to look at the series, if you just go to 3cr.org.au, 3cr.org, you'll find um, access to the uh, series. But they raised a very interesting concept because they've got what they call a non-productivist economy. So what do they mean by a non-productivist economy? Well, we need to break up Capitalism, private investment for private profit, in its various uh, formulations, its various jigsaw puzzle pieces. Because the economy is based on two essential elements. Economy based on the satisfaction of real human needs and an economy which is based on desire. And this is the battle that we've seen regarding the existence of First Nations people on this planet. That most of their economy was based on the concept of satisfying human need, not fulfilling personal desire. When you have an economy which is based on human need, this is what you'd call a non-productivist economy because the things you are creating are the things that are necessary for existence. Food, shelter, human interaction, access to education, access to health care. Now this type of economic model, as we saw with First Nations people, has a minimal impact on the climate. The problem arises 
when we move from an economy which is based on need, a non-productivist economy, to an economy which is based on the need to satisfy desire. And you create desire through advertising. Desire is an unlimited commodity. It's unlimited. A desire to acquire goods is what is needed for a neoliberal, productivist economy, which is based on the creation of ever-increasing profits for major shareholders or major owners of particular companies. And if you can create a desire, well, then you've got a whole new field of exploitation. A whole new field. So when you think of the economy and the situation we find ourselves in as far as climate change is concerned, the climate emergency in 2021, think of the type of economic system that now dominates the planet. An economic system which is, which is dependent on globalisation and corporatisation and deregulation and privatisation. It's an economic system which is designed to create desire and satisfy that desire at the expense of human relationships and social interaction. I mean, talking to the, the people in North and East Syria, what they've done, despite being in a war zone, despite being hemmed in by three very powerful enemies, Syria, Turkey, and a uh, Kurdish regime which seems to have lost its way, they continue to promote an economic model which puts human interaction and discussion before an economy which is based on desire. Because when you have an economy which is based on desire, satisfy, satisfying desires, manufactured desires, what you find is that more and more and more and more and more and more and more of your time is taken up finding the resources to satisfy those desires. And at the same time, more and more processes go into train to provide those goods and services which have a profound impact on the climate as a whole. So think about it. With the end-of-year celebrations coming up, some will have religious festivities like Christmas, others will just be thankful it's the end of the year and have got some time off. Think of the type of economy you're part of. Are you spending so much time working, trying to pay bills to satisfy economic desires that you have no time for anything else and that you're having trouble paying those bills which are based on, on need?
because we find ourselves in this situation in 2021 to a significant degree because we have allowed capitalism, the mantra of private investment for private profit, to intrude in every aspect of our lives, whether it's entertainment, whether it's work, whether it's products, whether it's travel, whether it's religion, and the list goes on and on. And there have been a number of surveys that have come out recently, and these are continuing surveys which show the differences. And it's fascinating to see that uh, anybody who's involved in as a couple, whether it's a marriage or a partnership or whatever, whatever you like to call it, that 71% of couples are now both in the economy. And not only, they're not in the economy because they're trying to find themselves. They're in the economy to pay bloody bills. Because not all work in a capitalist society is self-fulfilling and satisfying. A lot of the work is dull, it's repetitive, it's unnecessary. It has only been created in order to maximise profit. So you've got 71% of couples where the, both the individuals are now working in order to basically keep their head above water. Now, theoretically, we live in a very rich society. But that richness that we have, that ability to access goods and satisfy desire, to a significant degree is based on debt. Debt, whether it's personal debt, of all these new digital platforms which allow you to purchase goods and pay them over time, whether it's business debt, debt you need to get into in order to create a business, whether it's debt around housing, whether it's a mortgage or rent, rent is basically a weekly debt, it's nothing more. And nothing highlights this more than the ridiculous ridiculous explosion in housing prices in this country during a COVID-19 pandemic. The In April this year, I'm not talking about April 2020, I'm talking about April 2021, the collective value of all private residential property was around $8 trillion dollars. That's in Australia. Bring back the clock forward six months. And in November this year, just a few weeks ago, everybody was celebrating because the collective worth of residential property had risen from $8 trillion to $9 trillion. That's an extraordinary paper rise. Now, those of you who own property will think, well, that's wonderful. And those of you who don't own property will think that's not nice because we'll never be able to own property in a capitalist society. And that especially affects younger people. So think of the situation. Here we are, indebted up to our necks as a community with the second most indebted state nation state in the world second I can't remember who the first is but we're the second 
we have historically low interest rates and the Reserve Bank is still continuing to put its foot on the brake as far as interest rates are concerned. It's 0.1% is the official interest rate, obviously. Banks and financial institutions charge interest rates anywhere from you know, 2.9 up to 22, depending on what credit card you've got, if it's 22%. So you've got this fascinating situation where we find ourselves having more and more personal issues. If you look at other surveys that have come out, and you know, you know, you can take it or leave it, but I like looking at surveys, especially longitudinal surveys, because then you've got something to compare it with. And another longitudinal longitudinal survey showed that mental health issues had increased dramatically. Now, some people say this is due to the fact that people are more willing to acknowledge they've got a mental health issue, but the reality is the type of lifestyle we are currently encouraged to, you know, get on is basically a treadmill, what I describe as a treadmill lifestyle. Once you get that first loan, you're on this treadmill a treadmill, and if you want to stop the treadmill, you can't stop the treadmill. If you fall off the treadmill, you've got to start again and lose everything you've gained. So you're on this treadmill. At the same time, you're having more and more demands for employers. For example, the National Australia Bank has recently been taken to court because it's been expecting employees, and the key word is expecting employees, to do unpaid overtime work. And that's part of its cultural setting. Because if you want to make a buck, you do it in two ways. You rip off your workers or you rip off your customers. It's very simple. Because if you want to make a buck for your shareholders, which in Australia is a protected species, protected under legislation, so given money, you know, through... uh, COVID-19 grants to businesses that need them, negative gearing, you get a discount on your taxes if you know franking credits, if you own shares, and this goes on and on. Lots of stuff out there that can help you minimise your tax. Legally, of course. Not that I suggest anybody would do it illegally, but totally legally. So here we have the situation where... We're constantly on this treadmill. At the same time, the regulations which were put in place to ensure that we didn't have five-year-olds working in mines as at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, we've seen these regulations removed. People see regulation has a barrier to profits. They see freedom, you know, this great struggle for freedom. They see freedom. It's not the struggle to free yourself from the arbitrary exercise of state power or free yourself from economic shackles, but the freedom to exploit other people by stacking the Fair Work Commission with uh, members who follow a particular ideological agenda. 
And while the Reserve Bank sits on its arse trying to keep interest rates down in order not to scare the investment class, what we are seeing is built-up pressure, building and building and building, which sooner or later will mean a lot of pain for a lot of people, but not major investors. They'll be protected, as they always are. So those of you who think that storming the barricades about your right to infect other people is somehow important or radical or revolutionary, think again. It's about storming the barricades to ensure that power and wealth is shared. So we don't have these growing inequalities. And I've got to laugh at the so-called independent movement, which is growing. It's all about social progressives. And, you know, if you look at their agenda, it's very nice, very nice agenda, an agenda to address climate, the climate emergency, an agenda for gender equality and an agenda for integrity in Parliament, you know, motherhood statements. But where are the political forces, the political parties, the social movements? You know, where are they? They promote an egalitarian economic agenda, an agenda to introduce universal basic income, an agenda to tackle poverty, an agenda to increase the public housing sector, an agenda to create a third tier to the economy based on collectives and cooperatives to act as competition to the state sector and the private sector. Not that there's any public sector left these days. Where are these political and social movements? You know, a few weeks ago, I made a call out for people to become involved in the resurrected public housing movement in Victoria. We turned up at the steps of Parliament House, two weeks running. There were five of us and maybe 300 of the, you know, the Alternative Universe Brigade. That's the reality. That's the reality. It's all about so-called social progressive issues. As long as these social progressive issues don't impinge on the ability of people to make profits at the expense of other people, well and good. But if it means a redistribution at wealth, if it means people in trade unions actually having the power to strike and withdraw their labour to improve their conditions, well, well, we're not that interested in it, are we? So let's not forget, many of the situations we find ourselves in, much of the stress, the anxiety, the inequality, the constant bickering that occurs in our society, the lack of a vision, the lack of leadership, and the list goes on and on, is directly related to the type of society we have created, a society based on insecure employment, a society based on part-time work, a society based on making trade unionists have less rights than a drug importer, you know, somebody who imports a billion dollars worth of ice, and the list goes on and on. Where were these 
It's My Right to Spread Infection Brigade. Where were they 20 years ago when we were fighting to address the so-called anti-terrorist laws which were introduced into this country, which basically have given the state extraordinary powers, even more extraordinary than the pandemic powers, powers to ban any organisation because the Attorney-General feels they may pose a threat to this country's interest. And we're not talking about a physical threat, could even be an economic threat. Where were these people when laws were introduced which made occupations illegal and meant that somebody could be jailed for up to 25 years before, because they were involved in an occupation of a factory or a workplace to improve their conditions? Where were these people when legislation was passed which makes striking illegal outside a recognised, sanctified, you know, enterprise bargaining agreement people? Where were these people when the state now has the right to detain you for up to 10 days without anybody knowing you've been detained because you may inadvertently have information which may assist them with their investigations? They weren't there. I remember we'd go to rallies with 20 or 30 people. There weren't hundreds. There weren't thousands. There weren't tens of thousands. So what I'm saying is things have changed. Things have changed. And they change radically because the foundation stones that this country is based on have changed. And they're all about individual greed. There's nothing there about communal activity, social responsibility, ethical and moral behaviour. You're a loser in Australia a total loser if your life is guided by ethical and moral principles, if your life is guided by your wanting to interact and resolve issues within the community, not based just on social progressive issues but based on you know, an economic reality because ultimately if you don't have an economic base, you don't have economic security, you've got nothing in a capitalist society, what you can and cannot do is not limited by government legislation. What you can and cannot do is totally limited by access to disposable income. If you've got no disposable income, well, what you can do is very little. You can't go to that restaurant. You can't have that holiday. And the list goes on and on. And when you've got 30 to 40% of the country's economy being gobbled up by the housing sector, and when you've got legislation in place which makes it illegal for people to strike in this country, and if you don't believe me, look up the legislation, look at the Fair Work Commission decisions over the last you know, few years, then how do you expect to have wage growth? How do you expect people to pay their debts unless... They run faster and faster and faster in the treadmill. And the thing about a treadmill is it doesn't matter how fast you run, you're always on the same spot. You're always on the same spot. And no wonder the rats begin to bite themselves. You know, we're all biting ourselves, all concerned. And no wonder that's translated into poor interpersonal relationships, stress, anxiety. And then we have the medicalisation of logical responses to the type of insecure existence we find ourselves in. We medicalise it and offer people tablets 
to solve the issue or we offer them one-to-one counselling or we offer them, you know, group sessions, you know, because they're cheaper and nothing changes in the end. Obviously, some people get a little bit better, but ultimately nothing changes because what we're looking for is structural reform, major structural reform. And that structural reform means overturning the principles that this society is based on. An economy based on the satisfaction of desire for some. Not the satisfaction of needs for all. And that's the difference. That is the difference between a radical social agenda, an anarchist agenda, whatever you like to call it, and the other agendas which are peddled every day. Where solutions are bandied about, but ultimately there's no solutions. And there will be no solutions until we address the issue of an economy based on the satisfaction of human needs for all. Not for investors, not for particular classes, not for particular subgroups, but the need of all. We live in a society based on the satisfaction of the needs for some, while many are left behind, and the satisfaction of the desire for others, and much of that desire, satisfaction of desire, is based on debt, accumulating debt. No wonder we see so many confused people on the planet somehow thinking there's some, you know, grand conspiracy. Grand conspiracy. I mean, the conspiracy is here. It's now. It's not a conspiracy. It's a reality. We live in an unequal society. And nothing highlights this more than the current call for labour. Now, this country was based on an unsustainable low-wage labour system, which was based on the exploitation of guest workers on temporary visas. COVID-19 has highlighted the Achilles heel of economy which is based on insecure, part-time, poorly paid work. Now, I've heard the story of, you know, dishwashers getting $90 a day, uh, an hour. Now, if you can find me a job where I get $90 an hour, I'm more than happy to wash dishes for eight hours, as long as I get my holiday pay, superannuation, sick pay, and the list goes on and on. What a load of crap. So we have this low-wage model. So you can go into a restaurant and get your cheap coffee because the workers there aren't being paid their correct wages. You can go into a supermarket and get some wonderful clothes because that production has been outsourced to some third-world country where people are paid a dollar a day, and if they die on the job, that's the end of that. You just throw their bodies away. But I've got my $5 T-shirt. whoopie doo aren't I a good boy? The reality is we've been seduced by the desire economy. We have been seduced. We think this is the essence of living. This is the essence of life, to acquire goods and acquire debt 
and run on the treadmill to the day we die. We see older and older people being forced to stay in the workforce because they can't afford to retire. We've seen young people who can't even get their foot on the first rung of having some type of permanent accommodation, forced to live at home with ageing parents, forced to work in insecure, poorly paid, part-time work, and if by some chance you make the big time, you get that job, then you can get on the financial merry-go-round, the debt merry-go-round, which is based ultimately on interest rates and the type of interest rates which are levied. One day you're a rooster, the next day you're an economic feather duster, and I can tell you about that. So, it's all very well to whinge, and I'm not one that whinges. I'm basically talking about reality. I'm not here to create some alternative universe with some grand conspiracy by some one-eyed, blue-eyed cat somewhere. I'm not here to tell you you live in the greatest country on earth. When we look at most of the social indicators... In, in terms of the way we feel, the way we interact, that we're going downwards. I'm not here to tell you, you know, you need to sacrifice your children and somebody else's killing fields because we've got some, you know, dispute, theoretical, ideological dispute with the Chinese Communist Party. But I am telling you that we are all losers in this great game unless we strike back, unless we organise, unless we do things. Now, I know that many people find themselves in the situation where they've lived their lives, they want a bit of peace and quiet, there's not much they can do, but maybe they can help financially. And there's other people that have got great responsibilities, trying to keep on the treadmill, trying to pay all the bills that flood in every day, and I can understand that. But the reality is that nothing's going to change unless we do something about it. And we are the people we've been waiting for. It's not our great religious leaders. It's not our great secular leaders. It's not the human garbage that we see to a significant degree sit in the parliamentary seats at the state and federal level, seat warmers, and people of really, really outlandish concepts and ideas, ultimately it's up to you. Now, as I keep telling you, you can join public interest before corporate interests. Our attempt to register as a federal political party has come to nothing because overnight legislation was passed to increase membership from 500 to 1,500. Wasn't much of a a debate about that, was there? Snap of a finger, two-thirds of the registered political parties will no longer be registered. So what you do is you decrease your opposition. It's all very well claiming that Putin does this and does that. Let's look in our own backyard. Because we know we are going to be faced with temptation. Yes, I sound like a prophet. (laughs) Or maybe just a cleric, you know, a monk. But there's a budget coming up in 2022, a federal budget. It's what I call the Adam and Eve budget, the apple. The Morrison-led Liberal National Party is going to offer all the electors an apple, a beautiful, shiny apple. 
They're going to tell us we've never had it so good. They were so brilliant with the COVID-19 pandemic that things are well. But, you know, we need to solve that debt problem we've got ourselves into. But there's this going to be this shiny little apple which will be offered not just to Eve, but it will be offered to Adam and Eve and their offspring. And they'll say, come and get the apple. Come and bite the apple. Vote for me. Don't worry about that snake on the ground, circling your feet, the dead snake. Don't worry about it. Just vote for me and it'll all be good. So I'm really looking forward to the budget which will be handed down in March. I want to see how many sweeteners there are, how much pork pro- pork barreling, or if you don't like pork, how much soy barreling there will be. It'll all be there. Will we fall again once again? for that same garbage? Will we once again become part of the desire economy, an economy which is based on debt? Or will we say enough is enough? It's not about integrity. It's not about social progress. It's not just about the climate emergency. It's about the growing inequalities in our society. And we need to do something about it. If you want to pursue these issues... I suggest strongly you join public interest before corporate interest. Info at pipsy.net. You want an application form? You haven't got a computer or a printer, don't worry. Leave a message on 0439 395 489 and we'll get back to you. Yes, I do get a lot of messages, but we get back to some and not to others. But if you want to join Pipsy, I'm going to assure you I'll get back to you. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052. Email anarchistage at yahoo.com. You want to look at the website anarchistmedia.org, pipsy.org, pibci.org, Facebook pages, Joseph Toscana, Toscana for the Public, and the list goes on and on. You name it, we've got it. YouTube, public interest before corporate interest. You know, it's virtual, it's crap. What really matters is us taking the streets back. They've been taken over currently. We'll take them back. We'll create change. We'll cause political ruckus. We want to create a society based on the satisfaction of human needs for all. Not a society just based on the satisfaction of desire for some. Think about it. Think about what you're doing. Think about where you are. Think about your future. Think about joining. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week. Broadcast to you on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. I've been hosting today's program. Once again, the end of the year is coming. You need to make certain decisions. Whatever you do, don't rack up the debts you're in. Thank you once again. Listen in to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. Minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds Oh, 
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.